0: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Gospel Saving Church. Praise God, I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're in church today in our little house church in McKinney, Texas, or you, or you find yourself coming to listen to us on SoundCloud or via podcast, anywhere all over the world, did you know that by doing so, you're doing that makes God pleased. For any time we take our what we're doing and we, t- we stop that, what we're doing for ourselves, and we go seek something that's of the Lord, And Jesus said, seek and you shall find. My prayer today is that you find not what you want, but what God wants you to have, what God wants you to hear. We're going to talk about that later in our service. If this is your first time listening to me, hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and I come to you from McKinney, Texas, and this is Gospel Saving Church and our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word All right, we always start with a word of prayer. We have to start with a word of prayer. We have to ask God for his divine intervention in our lives and to help us understand his word. So if you guys will join me in a word of prayer, please, I'd appreciate it. And let's ask God to prepare us and help us today. Thank you so much, Lord God. Thank you so much, dear God, for giving us a brand new beautiful day. I'm not going to complain about this day, Lord. I used to do that. I used to wake up in the morning and think all the things I had to do and go, oh man, another day, oh God, i got to do all this stuff. But now, Lord God, I realize it's a beautiful new day and and that you allow me to serve you, Lord God, and you allow me to partake of this beautiful creation and this beautiful earth that you've given us, Lord God. Although lots of it and is polluted by sin and, and the people and, and the sinful people, People that don't love you, Lord, I, I still choose now, Lord, not to, not to really focus on all that negative stuff. Lord, I, foc- I, I choose to focus on your glory and your goodness and, and all the, the ways in which you take care of me. Thank you so much, Lord God. And we ask that you bless this service, Lord. Keep the distractions to nothing, Lord God. Keep the distractions in the rooms or in our cars or on our cell phones or wherever we're at where we're listening to this message, Lord. Keep the distractions away. Lord, for we know that when we start reading your word, all those thoughts come into our minds, and when we start trying to listen to a sermon, or we start trying to work on a sermon, Lord, all of a sudden, people have to do things, and people have to talk to you, Lord, and that's just the way it is, Lord, and we just pray that that would not happen today. For me, or for the people that are listening, or for my audience, or whatever. We pray that, Lord, you'd keep things quiet, Lord God, and let our minds be able to be clear and focused on what you have to tell us. And, Lord, we pray, as I prayed earlier, We pray that, Lord, for me and those in my home church and those all over the world, Lord God, we we pray that, Lord, after we hear your message today, as we hear your message today, that we would walk away changed. If we're yours, we pray that we'd walk away more sanctified, closer to you. If those listening are not yours or they're seeking, Lord, I pray, Lord God, you would show them something today that would bring them to you. But that nonetheless, all of us would be changed today, Lord God. Changed by your Holy Spirit, not by our will. For Lord, your word says people are born of the Spirit, not by our own will, Lord, but by your will. You desire for people to be born in the Spirit, Lord God. And I pray that that would be one of the things that happens today with someone out there that's tuned in to me today. We thank you, and we love you, and we praise you, and we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So you can turn to Acts chapter 2. We're just going to cover three verses today. I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but there's, there's some really powerful verses. We're going to be in verses 22 through 24, and uh, I won't teach them or read them now, but I'll read them after my thoughts from last week's message, Peter's First Sermon, Part 1. Last week, we got the now what to what happens when the multitude of the Jewish people respond to God's fishing for souls. Remember I told you last week, got all that stuff in the upper room, God was like throwing out his fishing pole. And he had the bait on the end. and he was, he was looking for those that would respond to what he did. Remember the rushing wind and the Holy Spirit coming in the room where the 120 disciples are. And, and then the tongues of fire sitting on each one of their heads, them speaking to the Jewish people in their languages. And remember, those people had come there for the Jewish festival of Shabbat. The people responded to God's fishing for their souls. And as a result, the now what was last week's message? Peter's first, very first sermon. His first sermon so far has been about the end times prophecy from Joel chapter 2. And this prophecy is describing some of the things that are and are gonna happen. People seeing dreams, that's happening. People having visions, that's happening. People prophesying, that's happening. And even some of the terrible judgments that God's going to bring upon the peoples of the end times right before he destroys all creation. That's something that's going to happen. We haven't seen that yet, but that's something that's going to happen. And lastly, we covered that, that so special verse to my heart. God spoke to us, and Peter spoke to us about God's characteristic, his most wonderful characteristic in verse 21. Peter said this, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. On that note, I just want to remind all of you of just how forgiving, how loving, and how caring our God, if you're a Christian, really is today. This verse shows us, right after Peter and Joel we're talking about just a couple of the many terrible judgments God's going to pour out on this world and its unrepentant sinners right before he destroys all creation, including earth. It, It shows us his great compassion and his great love and his great salvation that he wants to offer all mankind. This verse means that God's telling people that no matter how late in the game it is, no matter how far gone the world is. He's telling us that he loves every single person on all the earth. Everyone. Not just some elect. Everyone. And his pardon and salvation from their sin and his judgment are open to anyone and everyone. As long as the world is still here, as long as the person is alive, and as long as, as we're getting close to the end times, and somebody that's listening to this message might be in the end times, as long as you don't take the mark of the beast, his salvation is open to you. For the Bible declares that in the end times, the beast, the great beast, the horrible beast, Satan, the, 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 the Antichrist, will offer a mark, a mark where you, that you're not going to be able to buy or sell or so on and so forth. And if you take that mark, unfortunately, the Bible says that you are cut off from God forever your chance of salvation just went out the door completely. So be warned, please, if you're listening to this message and, and you're actually in this time, hey, watch out. Don't take that mark because then God's salvation is cut off from you. But this verse tells us that no matter, even if it's, the world is in its clothes, no matter how young, old, rich, poor, Smart, stupid, fat, skinny, ugly, beautiful. You are no matter how much of a super, super evil sinner you have, are or, or, or have been or whatever or are currently. As long as you're still breathing, the earth's here and you haven't taken the mark of the beast. God wants you to be saved. God wants to offer people salvation. He only requires you to repent Call on the name of the Lord. For all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, and that means repentance, means surrendering to Him as Lord, bowing the knee of your heart to God. No work, just turning to Him. Once you turn to Him, the veil of darkness that the Satan, that the devil's got on your eyes, will be removed, and then you could partake of God's Holy Spirit, and you can be born again, and you could be saved from your sin. His wrath to come after you die or before the end of the world, whichever comes first. All I have to say is praise God. I love him so very much. He's so merciful, kind, and compassionate, isn't he? No person, remember this, if you take anything away from this sermon, this is what I want you to leave with. I want you to take away more, mind you, but this is one thing I want you to take away from this message. No person or being in all of creation can ever love you like Jesus Christ does. And you can take that to the bank. That's a true statement. Anyway, please don't forget what I'm telling you guys today. Whoever repents and calls on the name of the Lord, no matter who you are and what you've done outside of that one stipulation that I gave with the mark of the beast, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God! All right, our new section, our new sermon for today. Title message today is Peter's first sermon, part two. As it's going, not sure how long. I've got a lot to talk about next week. God's given me just to birth something in me for next week. It's a surprise. I just can't wait to talk about it. It's more, I'm going to get to talk about one of my favorite sections of scripture in all the Bible. But for this week, I have an exciting sermon for you. This week, uh, we're going to read Acts chapter two, verses twenty-two through twenty-four. I know it's not a lot of verses, but it's it's enough. Trust me, it's enough. And and God's message in this these verses is is more than enough. A message that I hope that every one of you will be changed by. It certainly changed me. So let's read Acts chapter 22, or Acts chapter 2, verses 23 through 24, please, with me, or you can just listen along, whatever you choose. Peter goes on to say, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. That's it for today. And I I think, Pastor Ed, how could you formulate, I usually speak for about an hour, how are you going to formulate a whole message on just those verses? Well, you'll just have to wait and see. So God did the work to get people's attention. Remember, Peter preaches his first sermon, and in the first part of his sermon, he quotes Joel chapter 2 of the end times. He did this, remember, to tell the people below what was happening in the second floor. Remember, there were some scoffers there. You always got those scoffers. There were some scoffers there, some, some critics. Oh, these are just full of new wine. And he did this to tell them, hey, guys, these guys aren't drunk as you suppose. These guys are having what's, they're having, having happened to them what God spoke about like a thousand years ago through Joel, hey, the, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out upon all mankind and, and men shall prophesy and dream dreams. And, and this is what Peter's thrust was to them, talking to them, hey, what you just heard today, guys, is not some drunk guys in an upper room, but it's rather it's God's fulfillment of his promise through Joel chapter 2. So now that Peter has described what's happening there up, up in the upper uh, second floor apartment with this 120 dedicated disciples, look at what he says there in verse 2. I'm just going to talk on it as I go, as, as I'm led, as God leads me. And then you guys can, you know, we're just going to break at certain points and I'm going to go off on different things that God's told me to say. He starts out there in verse 2, and he addresses his audience once again, those whom his message was for at this time, men of Israel. Remember later on, the disciples realize, hey, wait, the, the message is not just for Israel. It's for all peoples as God starts saving Gentiles. But at this time right now, Peter says, men of Israel. It shows us right there who the message was for right now. Hear these words, he says. Listen up, guys. I've got something to say. And I'll say from what, because I know what he said, I've got something important to tell you, right? Because he did. He had some very important uh, news for these people. Jesus of Nazareth, he goes on to say, who his whole sermon and the whole event that his audience had just heard up in this room was all about. Why did he say Jesus of Nazareth? Why didn't he say Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Son of God? Well, he didn't say Jesus, all those different titles of Jesus, because this is how they knew of Jesus. They knew of Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth remember he grew up in nazareth he was born in bethlehem but he grew up in nazareth and also they didn't believe that he was the christ either so he was just kind of referencing jesus says hey the guy you remember that guy jesus of nazareth i know you guys didn't believe in him as the christ but you remember the guy right you called him jesus of nazareth but peter just goes on to describe the jesus he is talking about more because he had to you see for even today what do we have? We have a world full of not the same Jesus of the Bible. You got the Jesus of the Mormon Church, you got the Jesus of Islam, you got the Jesus of Jehovah Witnesses, and all these are different Jesus'es. In fact, most Americans, in case you didn't notice worship are different Jesus. Really, Mormon is, Mormons believe they wouldn't tell you this until you're into the religion, but Mormons believe that Jesus is Satan's brother. Hard enough to believe that that is, but yes. Mormons believe that Jesus Christ is Satan's brother. Well, most Americans really worship Satan, but they call him Jesus because they worship the gods, the false gods of money, TVs, cars, all this different knowledge. But that's not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. So Peter here feels he has to go on and he has to tell them, "Hey, I'm going to describe to you the Jesus of Nazareth that you knew, but I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell you more about him. I'm going to tell you who he really was getting back jesus says next of this jesus of nazareth that he was referring to a man attested and this is the first thing what attested what does that mean he was a man approved approved that means that he was he was all right hey he was a good man he was attested and proved by what though by who by god to you next part of that verse uh, how was he proven to them peter goes on to say by miracles Wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Jesus, remember, his whole ministry, it was a fulfillment of a prophecy. There was prophecy talking about the real Messiah to come. He'd be born in Bethlehem, of course, but that he would go and he would do all these different miracles. And what did we see Jesus do? He did miracle after miracle, after miracle, after miracle. He raised the dead to life in the sight of all these people, or some of Peter's audience. He healed the blind so that they could see. He took lepers and he cleansed them. Their leprosy was all gone. And not through a rigorous process or a clown going and washing in the water. No, he'd say, be cleansed or go walk over there as you leave. Hey, uh, you know, come back. Hey, and boom, they'd be clean. It wasn't. They had a long process. He did all these miracles: made the deaf to hear, made the lame to walk, healed arms. I'm just completely did all these different things right in the midst of these same people that Peter is preaching to here, and that he did these things, showing them I am from God. This is proof to you guys. Boom! Hey, the man with the withered hand. Boom! Oh, he did that on the Sabbath. Oh, oh, oh! I can't believe he healed a man on the Sabbath. Hey, I did that because I'm from God. That's proof to you that I'm not from the devil. devil can't do things like that. God's given me his power. I'm from God, guys. Hey, who am I from? Uh, look at all, look what I do. Remember John 10, 37, 38, talking to Jews, probably some of the same Jews that Peter's preaching to here. He says this If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, Ho oh, ho, well, look at here. Believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in Him. Hey, this is proof that I'm not some wacko. I'm doing things that nobody's ever done. There were even reports about it. And people said, wow, He, He heals the deaf and he heals the blind. Nobody's done that. Nobody's ever done things like that in Israel. He healed one man of being blind from birth. And somebody said, no, nobody's ever in all of Israel healed anybody that's been blind from birth. And the Jews called in the man's parents. And has this man really been born blind? Yeah, he was. Wow, wow, that's amazing. Well, Jesus did all those things to prove himself to these people. This is who I am. And some of these people he proved himself to were in this crowd. They were listening to Peter's first message. They were there on the day of Pentecost, heard the rushing wind in the room. And Peter's reminding them of these things that they saw Jesus of Nazareth, who they called or Jesus called the Christ that he had done and that they were witnesses to. They were firsthand witnesses to what he did and the miracles that he did. But not only does Peter tell these people of the miracles and proof that Jesus of Nazareth had done in front of them, he goes on to tell them of some things that were done to him, even something done to him by them. Look at verse 23. I'm going to read the whole verse and then I'm going to break it down into two parts. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. First part. Delivered Christ by purpose and foreknowledge. Whose purpose and foreknowledge was was it that Christ was murdered? Well, Peter tells us. God's, of course. He needed to do this because of his love for all mankind. Think about that for just a second. God purposely purposed the death of Jesus Christ. To his foreknowledge, he told us of what he was going to do way back, in case you didn't even know, all the way to Genesis 3.15. One of the penalties of Adam and Eve's sin for eating the fruit was this. Uh, verse 15 of Genesis 3. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and, and you shall bruise his heel. Talking to Eve and talking to Satan. This was a prophecy that Eve, through Eve's body, was going to come a Messiah that was going to crush the head of the devil. And what did Jesus do? What is Satan's greatest weapon against us? Death. Right, Because he knows that if you die apart from Christ, him and you are going to be together and get to be good buddies for all the rest of eternity. But God tells Eve here, he says, hey, by the way, this is what's going to happen. Your you're, you're seed of your body, the Messiah that comes from you, he's going to crush the devil. And if you can believe it or not, there's even another prophecy that talks about the Messiah. And, and in case you, know, you don't know or you're not aware of it, it goes all the way back to the Passover of the Jews where they came out of Egypt. If you didn't know, in case you didn't know, check out the Passover. And you can just Google it today. Google the Passover foreshadowing Jesus Christ. And, and you will be amazed if you've never heard of this before because the Passover, what the Jews did, what the, the actual ceremony, the, 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 the things that God gave them to do in this feast actually foreshadow what Christ did for humanity. They break the bread. Jesus in the Passover meal in the New Testament, right before he dies, he breaks the bread and says, this is my body. That means, that shows us that everything that the Jews did when they were coming out of Egypt... That's what Jesus said. Hey, that was me, guys. That was a foreshadowing of me. I am the bread. My body is the bread that delivers you from the bondage. And then it was Egypt. Now it's sin and death. And just look at the whole Passover meal. And the Jews call it the Passover Seder. And it's amazing the foreshadowing that we get to see of why God had to give Jesus. Why God purposely gave Jesus Christ. So so that his death, uh, because it was foreknowledge, was no surprise to God. He set the whole thing up purposefully. Because of the whole sin separating mankind from him and him wanting to save us and offer us eternal life. But how does Peter say it happens? Look at the second part of verse 23. He says this, you have taken by lawless hands, talking about Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus the Christ, sinful hands, I will add, and have crucified him and you have put him to death. Peter points out to those listening that they were the ones that killed Jesus Christ personally by their own hands. Wow. I could tell you this right here. I'll stop it an aside. Peter sure wasn't trying to win any friends or Preached to build a mega church was he he sure wasn't because you sure won't hear messages like this in our churches of today and and i bet you too upon peter's sermon at this point here i bet you he didn't get one even one amen i bet you he didn't get one <laughs> do we hear any preachers like this teach their congregations today do we hear any any pastor out there? Hardly any. Do we hear any of them calling it real, like Peter did here in his day? Hardly any. Eh, hardly any. Now Peter says to these sinners that they are that they personally took Jesus Christ and they crucified him themselves with their own hands. But did they really? Did they physically take Jesus Christ, and did they nail him with their own hands to the cross? Well, the answer would be no. Is this a contradiction? Because we know that Pilate told the the Roman guards to do it, right? So it wasn't the Jews themselves that did it, but that is sure the way Peter makes it sound here but how do we know it's not a contradiction and how do we know that these people actually didn't take him by their own hands and physically nail him to the cross well history tells us that at the time Christ lived the romans had taken capital punishment that means if you've committed a crime here in america our government capital punishment will do you know each state government has a different you know penalty for death some still execute you know the death penalty some don't you know just maybe life in prison or something but the Romans had taken all capital punishment, so the Jews punishing their own victims, away from them. They were only just basically subject to the Romans. They had no authority to put people to death. So why then does Peter say here that they put him to death basically with their own hands? Well, although they didn't take Christ by their own hands, they were the ones that personally told the Roman governor Pilate to kill him and this ladies and gentlemen, makes them 100% personally responsible for his death. Even as guilty of killing him by their own hands as Pilate and as the Roman soldiers were for actually doing it themselves. For they were the ones that personally told Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. Remember Mark 15, 13 through 15, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd because Pilate, remember, wanted to release Jesus. He wanted to release a prisoner. It was a customary thing that they did in those days. I can't believe that they did it. It kind of seems kind of kooky to me. And instead of releasing the murderer Barabbas, the people cry out, crucify him, crucify him right here in Mark chapter 15, verses 13 through 15 whether you do something terrible yourself or you command someone else to do that terrible thing like murder, you're as guilty of the crime as the person that actually did the crime is. Pilate gave them the choice as to whether he should kill Jesus or not. And they told him it was their choice. Crucify him, crucify him to this response. Pilate says this, he takes his hands and the pilot goes to show us that they were the ones that killed him. He took his hands, he washed him in a pot that was next to him. and He said, his blood be upon your heads. And then they affirmed it. Yes, not only ours, but our children's as well, too. So this is what Peter is saying here. They were the ones that personally crucified Jesus Christ, even though they didn't do it by their own hands hands and peter here in his first sermon was not afraid to tell them the truth for it is what they needed to hear i can tell you from personal experience god's will for his preachers is that they say the hard things that people need to hear but i can tell you this coming from my heart it's not easy to do and many and most people today don't want to preach what people need to hear. They preach what people want to hear. And this is probably why they do it, because people are so hard toward what they need to hear. People get angry with you when you tell them what they need to hear, versus when you tell them what they want to hear, they're so happy and they're so pleased. Hence why we have all the megachurches. And their sermons are not based on what the people need to hear. They're all about what the people want to hear. The people want their ears tickled. And so why have pastors done this? Well, they want big churches. And they want big paychecks. Is this biblical? No, it's not biblical. That's why I know Peter wasn't preaching for a megachurch here. It's not biblical at all. Well, anyway, that could be a whole sermon all on its own, and I won't, I'm not going to preach on that sermon today, because God's got a, a, a really powerful close for us here. I'm not, not to the close yet, so don't think, oh, we're only a few minutes away. Don't, don't think that, uh, it, but I have to tell you this, for, for me, and, and those of you who've been listening to me for a while, if you don't want to hear these hard truths, turn me off, okay, because I'm going to preach you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear so if you thought you turned into this service and thought, Oh man, I'm gonna I'm a gospel saving church. Oh, that's got that's that's gonna be a powerful and it's gonna be uplifting. Well, it may be, but it's gonna be powerful and uplifting uh, for what you need to hear, not for what you want to hear. Okay, let's continue the sermon, shall we? Look at what Peter says next of this Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. Look at our last verse, verse 24. He goes on to say, okay, so now he died, but he goes on to say this Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this Jesus Christ whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that she, he should be held by it. He goes on to tell them the great victory of Christ, the great victory of the cross, the resurrection of of Jesus Christ, where not only was he put to death, the Bible tells us he had to be put to death for the sins of mankind, for the sins of humanity, for those sins separate us from God. And it was only by the death of a perfect lamb in the Old Testament or a perfect animal that the sins were just covered And the New Testament tells us, God says, I'm not going to do that anymore. I have to have the blood now of a sacrifice of a perfect person now, myself. I'm going to give myself for the sins of the world. And so God allowed himself in human flesh, this is the gospel, to come into human flesh, to be killed by sinners, but then as Peter says here, to be raised up into life the great resurrection, the great victory of the cross. For Jesus Christ was not only put to death for the sins of mankind to become the propitiation of our sins, but he was also raised from the dead to defeat and conquer sin and death, humanity's last and greatest enemy, until God destroys all creation. Just, just think about it, though. I, I just have to stop here. I, I'm even off note right now. I'm even off my notes right now. Just think about what it's going to be like after God destroys everything. The perfection of eternity with God, if you're His. No more pain. No more suffering. No more death. Somebody said to me just the other day, you could tell, Ed, look at the way people respond when they get around death or, or when they're, they know they're dying. People that have no hope in Christ, I should say. is They're broken. They're broke all to pieces. And why? How could that be God's plan? We know that wasn't God's plan because death separates us. Death is a separation. It's destruction. And we leave our loved ones and we leave our families and we, and we go off and then they miss us. And it, that's not God's plan. That was not the way God created things. God created things. If you go back to Genesis and after all of creation, God says it three times. He says first, he said, and God looked at everything and said it was good. And he said, he looked at it again, he said, it is good. And then the last time he said, he looked at everything after it was all created and said, it is very good. Death, ladies and gentlemen, is not very good. It's the most, one of the most horrible things and it's man's greatest enemy. But God didn't create it. Isn't God so good? Better than anyone deserves And he didn't, Jesus Christ didn't have to die on the cross. He wasn't forced to by any law or rule. He was compelled to do this, to save us from our sins, to to conquer the last enemy because of his pure, holy, and long-suffering love that he had and has for mankind. He is truly better than anyone deserves. Basically, here as I just said, Peter gives us the abridged version of the gospel. In a nutshell, Peter says to them here, and I'll say it to you here exactly what Paul says in First Corinthians fifteen one through four. Paul says, "Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you and in which you stand, by which also, but by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word." which I preached to you, if, notice that word there, if you hold fast that word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to scripture. I see God's total heart of love in what Christ did. And one of the true characteristics of love is sacrifice. You'll know somebody really loves you if they're willing to make a sacrifice for you. Sacrifice is the true, is the truest form of love. And Jesus Christ sacrificed everything by coming to this sin-filled, pollution-filled world Full of hateful people, the same hateful people that Peter's talking to right now. He gave up his literal perfect throne room in heaven to come to earth to be crucified by the same sinners that he was trying to save. Wow. These same people here, Peter preached to, were literally the ones that killed Christ Jesus himself, and they're the same people who didn't change much to this point as they accused, remember, the Christ following disciples of being drunk. They're up there seeking God. I'm sure their prayers were heard. You know, they didn't have AC back then. So as they were praying and as they were crying out to God. I'm sure the people were down below and I'm sure they were listening. And, I, you know, ah, uh, kooky Galileans, right? With that, with that kind of mouth that was, you know, that, that language that was kind of so, ah, uh, we don't even like that language. I'm sure they heard him praying. And yet they accused these same people that are seeking God of being drunk at eight to nine o'clock in the morning. The, the people hadn't changed, but God was like, you know what? I came to save these people because you know what baffles me the most? these same people that killed Christ literally were the first ones that God preached to to try to save. Isn't that a heart of love? (laughs) Isn't that a heart of love? These people here that Peter was preaching to were so godless, yet remember we find them here in Jerusalem trying to celebrate the Jewish uh, festival of Shabbat right? They celebrated, it reminds me a lot of today, as I was writing this last little section here, it reminded me a lot of what people do today. Think of the people today, and think of those people then, these people celebrated the good festivals and feasts, the good things that God gives mankind. The good and delicious food, hamburgers, cheeseburgers, pizza, hot dogs, oh my goodness, they're all so delicious. And these people here did the same thing. They celebrated the good festivals and good feasts that God laid out for them to celebrate, because God had times of the year. I mean, every year that they were supposed to do have these feasts, and it was all a feast of coming together, all a feast of eating His good food and celebrating all the things that He gave them. Yet they didn't even love the God who laid them out for them, and so much did they not love Him that they went so far as to kill His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Wow, how sad is that? And don't people do that today? They breathe God's good air. They eat God's good food. They enjoy all the wonderful blessings that God has given us in this earth. And yet what do they do? They blaspheme Him with their mouths. They worship the false gods of TV and money and things. And yet God still has me up here preaching to them, you, if you're one of them, or if you used to be one of them, yet God has his preachers out there calling out to those same people, hey, turn to me. But now, as bad as these people were of Peter's day that he was preaching to, and as bad as they were for literally taking Christ, although they didn't do it with their own hands, they did good enough because they could have released him. Pilate gave them the authority. Pilate gave them the power. As bad as they are, and as hard on them as we could be on them, think, oh, man, they killed Jesus. Oh, rotten people. Well, here here comes one of those hard things that I have to preach on, as I mentioned earlier, that are not so easy to preach on. and One of those things that people really don't want to hear. You're probably not going to want to hear what I'm going to tell you next. What is this hard and difficult thing that I must say in perspective of what Peter tells these murderers and why we can't be so hard on them? Here's why. Did you know that these evil people are not the only ones that are to be blamed for the death of Jesus Christ? They're not the only ones that are responsible for his death. Who is that? You, Pastor Ed, I mean, they told Pilate, kill him, kill him, crucify him. Who else? I mean, they're the only ones, right? Not quite. Who else is responsible for his death? Did you know that every single person who's ever lived, including you and me, did you know that we're responsible for his death as well too? Yes, that's right. Even you and me. Why? why? How can this be? You say, oh, Pastor Ed, you're wrong. How can I be responsible? I'm not responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. I mean, those guys did. You're, you're, you're. That's silly. That's ridiculous. Why? Here's why. Because we've all sinned. And we've all broken God's laws. And I don't care how much of a perfect Christian you may be. You still sin once in a while, too. So... The definition of a sinner is one who commits, not practices, one who commits sin. And if you commit sin, even if you only sinned once last week and once this week, well, you're still committing sin, which means in an earthly perspective, you're still a sinner. You may be perfected in Christ, but how's on this earth, the definition of a sinner is one who commits sin. So we are the ones also that crucified Christ. How does this make us guilty, fi- uh, guilty of crucifying Jesus Christ and putting him to death? Because Jesus was put to death to pay for the sins of all mankind. Listen, not just of his day, but before his day and after his day, all the way till the end of time, which means that our sin put him on the cross And even the thought of our sin, since God knows the end from the beginning, he knows that people will never stop sinning. And all of mankind's sins, including yours and mine, kept Jesus Christ on that cross. Our sins kept him there, which means that we're just as guilty as the people that put Jesus Christ to death that day. Peter could have just as very well preached this first part of his sermon to us, just as he did to those of his day, because we're all guilty of the murder of Jesus Christ. What do murderers deserve according to the law? What is the punishment? What is supposed to, what is supposed to be the capital punishment for a murderer? The Bible tells us, really, it's the death penalty. That's the way it should be in our world. That's changed in some areas, but it should be if you kill somebody, you should be put to death for you killed that person. So us, being all murderers and killing Christ because of our sin, what do we deserve? We deserve to die. And because Jesus Christ was God and the spiritual, we also deserve spiritual condemnation on an eternity in hell forever as well. What? even though we deserve these righteous judgments against us. That's not what God desires for us. I told you, He's so good. The law says we're guilty. The law says that we deserve death. The law says because of our sin, we ought to go to hell. But God's word says that He desires none perish, the first part of Second Peter 3, 9, even though we are all guilty before God which means that he wants to pardon sinful human beings, those that put his son to death, the ones who put Christ to death by our sins. He wants us to pardon us from that punishment due to us by the law, and he wants to save us. He doesn't want us to go to hell. No one will ever love you like God will love you. But now, just because God loves everyone, and desires everyone to be pardoned of their sins, does that make everyone automatically have his pardon? The answer is no. Sadly, the answer is no. Bible says that we have to respond to what Christ has done for us. How does God hope and desire that we respond uh, to, to his desire to pardon us, even though we've killed Jesus Christ by our sins and are guilty according to the law of judgment and eternal hell? God hopes that we see the great love that Christ showed for us in his sacrifice on the cross for our sins that we killed him with and which kept him on the cross. And he hopes that all will come to repentance. The second part of Second of Peter 3, 9. What is repentance? Repentance is not something you do with your mind. Repentance is something you do when you realize you've blown it. When you realize, if you're trying to live righteous, and you realize you just got pulled over by the police, and you realize the officer's coming to give you a nice, big, fat ticket. In your heart, you realize, oh, no, what have I done? Oh, my gosh, I I wasn't looking at the speedometer. Oh, my gosh, I was talking on the phone. Oh, no. And then if you're a righteous man, you say to God, well, you know, God... I deserve it. I, I can't, you know, I deserve that. But you know what, Lord? Help me now, Lord. I'm going to focus now more on that speedometer when I'm driving. And I'm not going to speed anymore. Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to turn to you. Now I'm turning to you, God. I'm sorry. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop because of my turning to you. I'm going to focus on your ways and not my own. God wants you to repent. He wants all to come to repentance. Turning to Him. Surrendering to Him. Committing yourself to Him in a belief exactly like you would in marriage. It's a a heart commitment is repentance. It's it's, it's a total change of mind towards God. Not just a mental oh well, I guess I sinned. Oh well, God's going to forgive me. No. That's not repentance. Repentance is not just a head belief. Are you in need of this step of commitment belief to Christ today? Christ had the power to come down off of that cross and save himself at any time. Or he could have called his holy angels to come and rescue him at any point. But he didn't because of our sin, for they kept him there. What you did, that, that outburst of wrath that you had the other day, that looking at a woman to lust after her the other day, that foul mouth that you just spoke with the other day, those sins caused Christ to go to the cross and kept Him on the cross. Because those sins will send you to hell. Those sins separate you from God. So what does his sacrifice mean to you today? What does God's pardon for your sin, you killed Jesus Christ with, which you deserve hell and death and condemnation for according to the righteous law, what does that mean to you? What does his righteous sacrifice mean to you? God is so good and no one will ever love you like him. Would you please, if you're not there, if you haven't turned to him, or maybe you turned to him and you've turned away from him. Maybe you were once on fire for God, but now you've let the world creep in. Now maybe you've let sin back into your life. Now maybe you find yourself, well, you know, I go to church, but yeah, really I don't live for God. I really don't, I mean, I don't serve Him. I mean, I I don't even, I hardly read my Bible and praying. Well, I'm just so busy. Well, the number number one thing that God saves you for is relationship. That's the reason why God made humanity in the first place. To have a relationship with you. And if you've lost that relationship, or if you've backslid into sin, and you once were with Him, would you please today, Take this step and turn your heart back to God. Fall on your knees again. Repent. Turn back unto the Lord. And then, once you've repented, then God will help you cleanse all your ways. But will you turn back to Him so that He can make you right before Him again? Or would you turn to Him for the first time today so that He can cleanse you by the righteous blood of Jesus Christ. Please. Have you today examined His great love in the face of your great shame and guilt and, and sin that literally killed Christ? And have you taken that step of repentance already and are still remaining there to date? You haven't wavered. You, you got saved and you love Jesus to this day just like when you first got saved. Well, Praise God, I hope that's you. If you have, then please don't take His great grace for granted And live a life like this. Paul, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Walking worthy of the calling which you were called. With all lowliness. That means humble. With all gentleness. With long-suffering. Bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And just overall, guys, having a heart condition toward God. I need you in my life. Lead and guide my ways. Tell me what to do and I'll, and I'll do it. I, I just love you so much, Lord. Continue on that path, please. But please, ladies and gentlemen, today, the news we receive from Peter, the reality of what our sin cost Christ and what we deserve by the righteous law and the great love of Christ showed us, in, in spite of it all, this should leave you changed. That's my prayer today is that you be left changed by what you heard today. We all deserve death in hell. The Bible says there's not one righteous, no, not one. And the fact that Jesus Christ came and gave his precious blood for your sin and mine, that should make a difference in our lives. That should start making a difference in your life, and I hope it will. It's left me changed. And I hope it's left you changed or it'll leave you changed too. Think about what I said, please. Let God into your life now if you haven't. And let God more into your life if you already have. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, uh, for the sobering fact, Lord God, that we're all guilty of the death of Christ. As righteous as maybe those of us that have, you know, come to you are, Lord, as righteous as sometimes as we may feel, Lord, I I pray you help us to remember we still sin. And our sin sent you to the cross. And our sin kept you on that cross. Had you come down to save the life that you had then, all our eternal lives would, would have been lost. But you didn't. You stayed there. And what kept you there? Your love. Your sacrificial love. I pray today right now, Lord God, for those that are listening. If they haven't made that decision, or or if they made that decision, but they've (laughs) fallen off the, the path. I pray, Lord God, the news of your great love in the face of their great shame turn them back to you or turn, you, turn them to you for the first time. Please, God, let your great love sink in. Penetrate their hearts with your great love and help them to realize, Lord God, what their sin cost you. Please, Lord God, bring them to their knees. And those of us that are yours, Lord, I pray that what Peter said today would be a reminder to us, Lord, to because of what you've done for us, Lord, that we would walk worthy of the calling of what you have called us with. That we wouldn't take your great grace for granted, Lord. That we wouldn't live any any way we wanted to live, Lord, but we'd we'd turn to your word as, as a light into our path and as a light into our feet, and we'd look at your word and learn how to live righteously, Lord, and learn how to live more like you. Learn how to live with the love that you have for us, sacrificial love towards you and sacrificial love toward others. Sanctify us more, God. Sanctify us more. Help us, Lord to become more like you and to represent you more in this world. Thank you, Lord God. And we ask all these things in the precious name of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.